Coming to you from Washington, D.C. You are now listening to FAIR's Understanding Immigration Podcast. All right, we are recording this episode of Understanding Immigration from FAIR's annual Hold Their Feet to the Fire event, where we have more than 50 talk show hosts gathered here to discuss important immigration topics that impact all of our daily lives. I'm Spencer Raley, FAIR's Director of Research. And to start things off, we have a very special guest on now, FAIR's very own president, Dan Stein. Now, Dan has been a part of FAIR since 1982 and has served as our president since 2003. Dan has appeared on virtually every significant talk and TV radio program in America and has testified before Congress more than 50 times. He's more knowledgeable on immigration than anyone that I've ever met and has built really an incredible culture here at FAIR, one that I'm very proud to be a part of. So, Dan, thanks for joining us today. Nice to be with you, Spencer. Absolutely. So, Dan, this event has been going on for many years now, and every year it seems bigger and better than ever. So, thinking about the context of this particular event that's going on during one of the greatest immigration crises that we've ever faced, Tell us just a little bit about the history of Feet to Fire and why it's such an important event today. Well, it's really a credit to these hosts and the uh, management of the stations that they come out even during the pandemic because mm-hmm. uh, last year we didn't do the event and, of course, uh, we couldn't do it. But uh, this year we did. And Feet to the Fire has its genesis going all the way back to the activism efforts of the organization back in the 1980s, early 1990s. Um, in uh, the early 1990s, mid-90s, there was a radio talk host named uh, Roger Hedgecock right. out of Kogo Radio in San Diego who uh, had an event he called Feet to the Fire where he would bring some of his listeners, a couple hundred, to Washington to lobby and broadcast his radio show. Mm-hmm. Now, we had been bringing uh, occasionally radio hosts to events that we had done on an ad hoc basis, but this happened. We decided, hey... Um, why don't we join Roger's group and bring some other radio hosts to participate with him and build out something mm-hmm. from Feet to the Fire. And that's why it got the name. Mm-hmm. It all started with Roger Hedgecock, uh, who was the mayor of San Diego at one point as well. And um, it just took off. And, and you know, because immigration is always in the news, very timely. If anything, it's more in the news now than ever. Everything that we predicted when we founded FAIR, that if the country did not properly prepare its borders, if it didn't take the steps needed to control immigration, the sheer migration pressure of hundreds of millions of people with everything to gain and nothing to lose by trying to get here would overwhelm our system and overwhelm our borders. And in fact, that happened. Our idea was years ago that if you could make a sensible case to Congress, the American people, this situation would never have happened. Mm -hmm. But if sensible people don't get involved, then it becomes unsensible, insensible. And this failure of leadership is one of the great tragedies the nation is facing now as we spin into chaos. Biden administration is taking the lessons of the last 50 years and throwing them in the, tra- you know, the past is trash, apparently. They don't right. believe that you can learn anything from the past. Mm-hmm. But, and I thought Jimmy Carter's administration was inept, but this is unbelievable. You've got <laughs> people there who apparently know no idea, have no idea about governing, mm-hmm. about, about thrift limits, about solvency, currency, stability, uh, about the social welfare costs of bringing people in whose mm-hmm. educational attainment doesn't really permit them to uh, uh, earn the money they need to live above the social safety net. I mean, this is they're imposing national bankruptcy on the country. So the momentum of the event takes on a life of its own as something yes. that 
the talk show hosts will tell you routinely, this is one of the events their own listeners look forward to. Absolutely. And, and, and at some level, the battle is between sincere and obfuscation. Sincerity is what you see at Feet to the Fire. We bring folks here who are on the lines, sheriffs, people who've lost loved ones, people who live near the border, policy people who just provide good data. But they're here without an agenda. They're just telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and it resonates with the listeners of these stations compared to the lying, the obfuscation, the misrepresentation, the hiding of data, a lack of candor and truthfulness we see from coming out of the administration. Tonight. And this is why the event has such an impact. Absolutely. And yeah, again, we are, we're seeing more interest in this event now more than ever. And I think some of that is uh, some of that is born by the fact that we've seen members of Congress coming in here this morning already being interviewed by hosts in their own districts that are telling them, hey, we're in the area. We're talking about this issue. If you want to have a voice of this, you need to, you know, you need to get here and, uh, and, and, you know, let us hold your feet to the fire. And so it's great the impact that we see happening here. And just going back a little bit to you know, the current ongoing crisis. You know, again, you've, you've been working this industry for many, many years. You've seen many immigration crises come and go. How does this current crisis compare to the previous crises that you've seen? Like, you know, the one that occurred more recently in uh, 2019 and some that occurred before that. How is it the same? How is it different? In some ways, it's the same. Invariably, when there's a rapid change in the dynamic, the news media will pay attention. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the difference, the danger comes when the media become acclimated to what seems to be a new normal and when you have chronic anarchy like we have on the border you see some of the networks CNN MSNBC they already right. are motivated to ignore the story they feel like they can move on pretty quickly mm-hmm. Afghanistan people coming in they don't mm-hmm. follow up what happens to those folks unless somebody turns out to bomb a nightclub or something you don't hear right. all about them uh, but but the sheer magnitude of what's happening, mm-hmm. the persistence of it, and even more importantly, what appears to be just the low-grade political mm-hmm. response. Never have I seen a political crisis where the political ineptitude or the lack of care, mm-hmm. or in, in, in some cases apparently a desire to sabotage the system and create the crisis, is without precedent. Absolutely. Biden is smart enough to know shouldn't be smart enough to know after 50 years or whatever he's 107 years in the senate <laughs> that people would respond to his signals the signals mm-hmm. he sent when he campaigned the signals when he sent, sent when he changed the laws and here we have today a major un, you know, manifestation of a crisis intelligence says thousands are coming up 50,000 trying probably today moving across central america south america these folks coming in from haiti aren't coming from haiti they're coming from chile where they had status Mm -hmm. technically they're not refugees because they have a place where they were already living and they can't go through all those safe countries and make a claim here but biden lets them in anyway Mm -hmm. most of them they got their cell phones they tell them hey you know this is what you got to do they they seem to want this crisis yes and that's what's different what's different here is the democratic party has been taken over by people Mm -hmm. who are They have what Thomas Sowell called an unconstrained view of nature, Mm -hmm. which is different from the normal governing philosophy of America, which is a constrained view, as Sowell puts it. Constrained view is built on the British conservative tradition of custom, convention, tradition, family, faith, community, voluntary associations that de Tocqueville talked about in favor of uh, a, a transformational party that looks more like kind of a socialist, um unlimited unlimited unconstrained view but it relies upon this governing elite <clears throat> that know better right right and govern on behalf of the poor folks mm-hmm. the, the the proletariat and mm-hmm. the rest of us 
We're like the kulaks, as the Russians would say. We're in the way. <clears throat> We're reactionary. Mm -hmm. Business people, those kinds of people, don't believe a nation should lose control of its borders. Right. And so during this, the unconstrained have this rationalization of what they call a transition period. Mm -hmm. To get to utopia, <laughs> which they believe they're going to create. See, on the conservative tradition, the constrained view is utopia is impossible. You try right. to mitigate faction through delegated powers and the separation of power. Right. But the unconstrained view believes that you can have utopia, but you need this transition to get there. Exactly. And that's when all hell breaks loose. The transition justifies censorship, smearing the opposition, intimidation, abridgment of rights, public rights, no public square, one-sided debate, only one side is heard. Mm -hmm. You cannot have justice, Spencer, unless all sides of an issue are heard. And in right, this country, right. other than talk radio and some alternative media through digital, both sides aren't being heard. Biden seems to have an alliance with the tech lobbies mm -hmm. and others to prosecute quasi-government censorship, which is the greatest danger America faces right now to its mm -hmm. political health. That and extraordinary Democrat, undemocratic voting patterns that enabled untraceable voter fraud. This is really getting out of control. Absolutely. These things all tie back to immigration. A, because the Democrats want to import people who are going to vote the way they want them to vote. And B, because document security is fundamental to preventing vote fraud, neither of which Democrats seem to want. Mm -hmm. The Democratic Party is not the party it was in the 90s, not the party it was 20 years ago. That's why you can find sound bites of people, yes. <laughs> octogenarian politicians like mm -hmm. Schumer, the Clintons and folks who are saying things now that sound like Donald Trump. What happened to the Democratic Party? Well, they no longer represent organized labor, mm -hmm. taken over by this elite cabal, not in touch with the average person, who believe that their governing philosophy does not require input from the average American. We're supposed to sit down, shut up, and do what we're told. Absolutely. And you know, you see that you see that transformation evident in some of the some of just the policy changes over the last few years. You know, you see a number of unions that are very concerned about the representation of their workers because they know that many of their companies are, you know, opting for foreign labor, both legal and illegal, over their own represented workers. You know, and just a few short years ago, that was a cornerstone belief of the Democratic Party. You know, the, the well, structure. The, the democracy and, uh, doesn't work if the corporate model is not attached to the people. People yes. bestow <clears throat> a charter that gives corporate liability for the accumulation of capital and leveraging mm -hmm. it for financial purposes in exchange for a commitment to the community where the company is. Right. The separation of the multinationals, they're throwing in with China, mm -hmm. being willing to do these, these joint agreements and then lose our technology mm -hmm. and our other edges to China, means that they're no longer attached to the United States as the primary entity. Mm -hmm. Even in the days of the trust magnets back in the 00s, the 1900s or whatever, Andrew Carnegie and others, they understood the need mm -hmm. to give back. Exactly. Now, the way these tech lobbies are giving back is by leaving money to widow or widows like Lorene Powell Jobs, who then turn around and throw their money at re-engineering projects. Right. Not things that are going to have the, you know, help the community or the average mm -hmm. American or religious communities or anything else. They're too busy trying to re-engineer the country in some perfectible image. Right. This, this, this separation, this, this increasing social distance between the elites and the community distance between the corporations and multinationals and the average American is part of why our democracy is falling apart. Mm -hmm. Democracy is tied to people and it's tied to land. 
Mm-hmm. The U.S. is an idea, but it's much more than that. Customs, yes. traditions, yes. conventions. Uh, you know, and the framers understood and inherited these traditions from British conservative governance. Mm-hmm. We're in danger of losing all those, even though, even though after all the lessons of the 20th century, mm-hmm. throwing in with an elite cabal that wants to create utopia and abridge civil rights in the process, process right. is and never going to work. Right. And that leads me really well into my next question. You talked a little bit about how we're moving away from the founding of this country, the the Democratic Republic founding of this country that protected all individuals equally, all citizens equally, and are moving more towards this uh, society being constructed by the elite, thinking that they're creating utopia for those that are going to be under their control, but doing nothing of the sort. So this may be too broad of a question, but what are the first steps to fixing this thoroughly broken immigration system that's being used to transform the United States as a whole. Like what what is the first step for, you know, those across the street in Congress today and just for American activists uh, towards restoring our republic as it should be? <clears throat> well, of course, first thing is you have to familiar familiarize yourself mm-hmm. with the principles of good governance and understand why the Constitution says what it says. All American citizens need to read the Constitution with an understanding of why it was designed the way right. it was and try to get some at least simplified version of what philosophically provided why the institutions were built the way they were. There's a reason they exist. There's a reason that the current Democratic Party does not like them, they, 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 but they're built on small R Republican principles of electing people who elect people who try to provide a refined process, but in the end it's still representation. Mm-hmm. And and they also need to understand the customs, traditions, and history and legacy of the country, and why those lessons are important and not trash the past. And then mm-hmm. second, and then thirdly, if you live in a state where people agree with you, and the data census show people are tending to aggregate within communities where they share political views, right? Well, then you need to talk to people who live in other mm-hmm. states. If you live in a state like Texas or Florida, <clears throat> but you have relatives who live in Massachusetts or New York. Email them about the immigration problem and the crisis and let them know what you're facing. Let them know why it matters. They can't hear you. They don't understand what your concerns are. Where they are is based on an unrealistic view of governance. And if they don't hear your point of view, we can't spread the word. So don't just talk to your neighbor. All right. But learning, educating yourself, teaching others, joining FAIR, FAIRUS.org. When you become a part of our team, you don't have to spend a dime. You just put your name in for your emails. You get all of our great information, content, material, research reports, which your ABLE team produces in our research department, Spencer. And you have, you know, forewarned is forearmed. I mean, one of the great things about what's happened is Americans are now aware. Our members are. Our membership is huge. People knew in ways they never could have in the 1980s. Uh, They know about the immigration issue. It's in the news every day. And they learn. They educate themselves as the issues come along. They can see what Biden has done. They Mm -hmm. understand it. Mm -hmm. They they might not have, you know, in 1979 when Carter said, come from Cuba, open arms and open hearts. Right. Obviously, the Biden people were selective in who they let in. The Cubans, Mm -hmm. they don't seem to care about. They're they're being sent back now. Yeah, right. (laughs) They're very clear that they, uh, but, you know, I mean, that's ultimately politically, strategically what this organization and the movement Mm -hmm. have to do. We have to convince the Democratic Party that the Hispanic vote will never be like the African-American vote. Absolutely. That the Hispanic community is diverse, uh, independent-minded, 
that they, in, in many cases, as they're here longer, vote more in line with blue-collar workers if they're blue-collar workers with other right. blue-collar right. workers. Right, and we, we see that coming to fruition in, you know, southern Florida. Individuals Texas. that uh, have come from, <clears throat> you know, Cuba, areas that had communist socialist past. We see that in South Texas. Individuals that worked hard to come here the right way and are now being lumped in by... Uh, you know, these open border politicians, this, this left-wing cohort that wants to equate them as the same thing as an illegal alien who came here the wrong way. You know, in some ways, they're, uh, they're defeating their own agenda in, in some minor ways by lumping this entire group together. And I think we're also seeing that with the African-American community as well. You know, more of them voted for Trump than had voted for a Republican candidate in many, many years because they realize they're being used as, a, as pawns. Wouldn't that, that be know, nice? <laughs> Wouldn't that, I mean, the betrayal of the African-American community is a whole topic unto itself. Absolutely. And, and to watch Biden do what he's doing is just amazing to see that the African-American community remains so loyal to the Democratic Party. And yet, for, for, for what the Democrats are trying to do with the immigrant population is avoid mm -hmm. assimilation. Biden exactly. has banned the word assimilation. Mm -hmm. Assimilation apparently is bad. They say that it's people incredible. who oppose immigration oppose a multicultural democracy. We have a multiracial, multicultural democracy. I mean, you only have to go but back to, to to look at the Olympics this year. You just look at the diverse right. representation we have, whether it's you know a sporting event like that. But the United States is the, I don't know if I, if I would say it statistically, but it's one of the most diverse countries in the entire world. And we're proud of that. So to kind of suggest that... You know, the many cultures we have here that are made up of citizens that care about this nation isn't diverse enough, so we need to let people come in illegally so that we can become more diverse is, in a way, offensive and a slap in the face to our very rich multicultural history. <laughs> well, we want to get back to the idea that we have traditions and values and ideas. Right. I mean, yeah, we have some, some you know, spots in our background we, we have to learn from. Absolutely. But in the end, our traditions, values, culture, these things are worth passing on to the immigrants right. as they come in. And, and, they, and it's a short change them to not teach them. Right. That. And just the structure of a republic is one so that when we do make mistakes, we are in a culture of restoration. That's why we've been able to see our shortcomings and our con and, you know, our constitution covers these individuals that are being harmed and it has allowed us to grow faster than you know many other nations have. Well, theoretically, so, we have a positive feedback loop for the things that are working exactly. and a negative feedback loop for the mistakes we made. Well, yes, Except that Biden has apparently taken the positive feedback loop of everything that Trump folks did in immigration and applying a negative feedback loop and deconstructing. Absolutely. So, I mean, and, and so we have increased entropy, right? Mm -hmm. Disorder, disorganization. We have to fight to bring back uh, reduced entropy, more mm -hmm. organization, and restore the things that we know that work. And that's why a lot of the folks here today, this movement, this, this, this organization, this event brings together mm -hmm. uh, everybody in this movement who is concerned about the issue from this vantage point. You see folks like Chris Kobach, Tom Tancredo, mm -hmm. You see environmentalists, you see angel moms, you see law enforcement officers who are on the front lines, mm -hmm. all come together in this event, major politicians wow. and others. They're all here. They're right. all here at Feet to the Fire. It's, it's not your and typical Washington, D.C. event where everyone's, you know, suit and tie politician. There's nobody here lobbying for the Saudis. Exactly. There's nobody on the payroll in China. No, exactly. these are just good old folks, good old fashioned American folks who believe in their democracy, who want to make a difference. It, it's really Great a beautiful be thing, and it's it's just uh, it's an incredible event. We're really happy to be back uh, for the first time after missing last year, and just seeing some of the positive change that is happening within you know overall kind of this terrible trend that's being created by the Biden administration. And we're just uh, happy to be a part of this and to to see what we can 
see what see what fires we can light see what we can get moving uh you know throughout this country dan stein thank you so much for coming on thank you for all the great work you do for our organization here at fair and everyone you can find uh dan's work my work all of our work at www.fairus.org make sure to check it out and uh, thank you for tuning in nice work spencer thanks all right my next guest here on the understanding immigration podcast is sheriff sam page from rockingham north carolina thanks for joining me this afternoon glad to be here i want, awesome. to, thank, I want to thank fair federation of american immigration reform for giving me an opportunity to come to washington dc the mm-hmm. capital of the united states absolutely and i just want to thank you for coming here you know we've we've had a we've had a great event so far how are you how are you finding this year's event you know I'm not sure exactly how many interviews I've done today, but what I look forward to is, you know, I do I do TV interviews sometimes back home, and sometimes when you're talking to some of the news stations, it, they do it's a lot about sound bites, and they don't really right. get the full content of right. the point you're trying to make. And we got we have some good stations, but mm-hmm. the thing about it is, is with talk radio, I have the opportunity to tell the story, of kind of how, what how we experience things, and how it impacts us, you know, back home. Absolutely, and that's the whole point of this event that we have here. You know, get talk radio hosts from across the country. They come here. They tell you know their constituents, everyone in their in their uh, home states, their counties, what's going on. It's not just again coming to Washington D.C. Get a couple of politicians on to do a few sound bites, and then you go home. Yep. You know, we're get we're getting the real deal here. Well, so, well, I'm, and you and, and I'll say this. You know, when you when you watch when you watch TV and something like this, and you right. and you see the same people talking something like this, you know, credibility. You got to have credibility. Absolutely. And and but I think the sheriffs that I, without any question, the sheriffs that I work with across the country mm-hmm. here on some of these issues, you know, we've got credibility with the citizens we serve. Absolutely. And this is an opportunity to let other people know what we're seeing, but to let it be a local flavor. Absolutely, absolutely, and yes, we have we have dozens of sheriffs here for this event today because we want to know what's going on in your state, in your district, in your county. Mm-hmm. So you're from Rockingham, North Carolina. That's right, just north of Greensboro. Just north of Greensboro. I think most of us are going to know where that's at. But so often when we think about you know immigration, illegal immigration, people immediately think of the border. You know, El Paso, Del Rio, McAllen, you know, Arizona, and you know, for good reason. There's a terrible crisis going on at the southern border right now. You've got thousands of individuals flooding the border every single day, hoping to take mm-hmm. advantage of amnesty and, you know, coming into the United States, being released into the country. I think it's often we forget this impacts counties inside of the United States as well. You know, you're, you're what, 1,500 miles away from the southern border. What are some of the impacts you've seen of illegal immigration in your county well well what i have seen is i think is well over 300 persons in since 2010 to the present mm-hmm. and we're a small county right. but, but about over 300 persons that have been charged criminally have ended up in our jail that ter- they're determined to be illegally in the country now the thing about it is but le- i think it's less than 50 percent of the persons that have come in t- under the circumstances they've been arrested self-identified through arrest through state mm-hmm. charges and then we and then we do the checks and then communicate with ice uh, that those persons on less than 50 percent are are detainers are issued on wow and what I, and that's what that's what worries me is if you have criminal offenders coming in and not everybody that comes to the border is is, is the that hardcore criminal but, absolutely but yeah. it only takes that one to exactly. take a life mm-hmm. it only and takes that one dwi to take a life right you know, but but we see persons come in what i worry about is the current administration uh, the biden administration and uh the directors under secretary of Mayorkas, mm-hmm. uh that they change and reduce the chances of additional detainers being placed on persons because right. a lot of people don't understand that 
But a federal detainer gives us authority to hold that person until the feds, the ICE agents, can take custody of those persons in a jail setting, which is the most proper, safest way to do that. There's some persons that don't believe that also on the other side. But the point about it is I tend to believe that if a person is committing criminal offenses in America and they're illegal in the country, they should be deported. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, that's it's. I mean, that's that's a lawful statement. Right. But the thing about it is, is if a person uh, under this current administration, if there's less detainers issued, that means when a person that was criminally charged, if he posts a bond, he's released back out in the community with potential to to revictimize either persons in his own community or across the county or go other places. And, and every single one of those crimes has to be considered preventable, because there is that. If you look, if you look at just in North Carolina. Look Look at how many counties we have, 100 mm -hmm. counties. The question is how many sheriffs there honor federal detainers. Now, I know right. a, a majority of sheriffs do honor federal mm -hmm. detainers, but uh, look at the bigger counties that may have more population, people coming to their counties that may feel that it's a sanctuary setting, mm -hmm. and then they, they establish there, they get in trouble, uh, they get in trouble, they get put to jail, uh, they're placed on a bond, no t detainers are issued, they get released back out in the community, the community. or if a detainer is issued and the sheriff does not honor detainers, that's another problem. So right. I think I think, right. but I think you said it. Right. The big thing you said was, a lot of these situations I think are preventable mm -hmm. had a detainer been issued and the sheriffs honored those detainers. Right. Now we participate in what's called 287G Warrant Service Officer Program. That program came about uh, just before the Trump administration ended. Uh, I think there's about 30 sheriffs, maybe uh, 30 sheriffs in North Carolina that participate on the Warrant Service Officer Program. So when a person is criminally charged. He's determined to be illegal in the country through the process. We notify ICE. If they issue a detainer and an administrative warrant, we can serve the administrative warrant, the ones that have the authority, and we can and we can honor the detainer. And then when the person is ready to be released, we notify ICE for pickup. they got 48 hours. Absolutely. Very simple. It's Absolutely. a good process, good safe process. Absolutely. And, you know, another, another angle that comes into this is if you have ICE officers, you know, doing their job, they know where an individual is that has a, uh, you know, they need to go arrest and put into proceedings, like you had mentioned a little bit ago, it's a lot safer to do that in a detention setting than having to go knock on a door and who knows what you're going to run into it, and who's going to be placed at risk. It provides a safer environment. Now, mm -hmm. let me jump something real quick because you, yeah, you hadn't mentioned anything about this. What about the Mexican drug cartel? Well, I'm, I'm yes. going to call you out yes. today. As I've been talking all day, mm -hmm. the Mexican drug cartel do operate in our communities, even in my community and around my community. Oh, wow. Uh, Sheriff Johnson from Alamance County was here. He would tell you some stories about what he's experienced mm -hmm. with the cartel and the drug activity. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of our communities uh, have been affected. A year ago, a little over a year ago, there were four members of the Jalisco New Generation Cartel that were arrested in Axton, Virginia. That's five minutes north of the city limits where I live. Mm -hmm. Been operating for about three or four years, my understanding, according to the DEA out of Virginia. Mm -hmm. But also, a few days later, four days later, ten were arrested, same right. cartel, then in Charlotte, that link back to California. So the thing about it is, it's not if they come, when they come. Mm -hmm. The cartel already here. You're, right. you're MS-13, you know, are operating mm -hmm. about 1,200 cities. I understand what I read. Mm -hmm. uh, the the cartels are around. When we stop, when we stop somebody or deal with somebody that's dealing heroin or fentanyl, uh, I tell everybody. I used to wonder who are they affiliated with. They're selling that product, which is not made in the United States. Right. They're selling product. Right. They're working for the cartel. They're part of the cartel, mm -hmm. and uh, they need to be punished appropriately. Absolutely, within, according Absolutely. to the law. Mm -hmm. And and again, you know, it's it's so easy to think this is just a border issue, but you know, this is happening in your district in North Carolina. 
And so it's important that whether you live, you know, in Arizona or Texas along the border, or if you live in Des Moines, Iowa, or if you live in North Carolina, this is an issue you need to care about. This is an issue that will impact you. You've heard me say this for almost 11 years. If we fail to secure our border, every sheriff in America will become a border sheriff. We're there. Right. We're right, there. Right. We're there. We're border sheriffs. 28, I think it was 28 people died due to heroin, fentanyl overdose last year in Rockingham County. It's tragic. Okay. It's tragic. But nearly four, I think it was nearly 400 uh, overdose calls for assistance where we had to come in. And some of those were Narcan was utilized to mm-hmm. save the lives. Mm-hmm. You know, my guys, the paramedics, the firefighters, the rescue squad members, they are saving lives every day with, not, uh, with, with Narcan. And, and, but to me, what bothers me is when things seem to be normal or the regular and stuff like this, people start, you know, it, it loses the effect. Right. Ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Heroin overdoses, fentanyl right. overdoses, uh, any type of overdose is not acceptable. Yes, absolutely. Let's you see a tragedy every day on the news, eventually you kind of but it's lose happening. your sensitivity yeah, to it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's happening in counties large and small in North mm-hmm. Carolina. But it goes back to it. The first responsibility of government is to protect the people. We must secure our borders operationally absolutely. before we have any discussions in Congress about immigration reform. Absolutely. Now, I don't think anybody argues that, that the immigration laws, some of the laws are outdated, mm-hmm. but the point about it is you can't, you can't it's just like running the water in the bathtub. You got the right. plug out, and it's still fun, and the water's still rolling. Uh, you, you, it's just going to continue rolling. Continue That's going. what you've got at the border right now. And the people in America need to wake up. We need to hold our, as we hold our local officials accountable. We right. need to contact our senators. There ain't but a hundred. 435 representatives and burn those phones up and call them and write them and email them and tell them that they need to not forget that they serve the people. It's not about an election cycle. Mm -hmm. It's about protecting the people in America. Right, right. And that's what this whole event here we're having today is about, about reminding you know, our elected officials just down the road, who they serve. Can I give a th- can I give a thank you? Absolutely. I want to thank the United States Border Patrol, CBP. I want to thank them. I want to thank our ICE agents. Mm-hmm. I want to thank our DPSA officers and troopers. I want to thank all these governors for the hard work they're putting in to try to protect our border. But remember this. These guys are protecting America's borders. America's borders. And if we don't stand up and protect our borders, our country won't stand very long. Absolutely. Well, Sheriff Sam Page, we appreciate you coming on today. We know that you're a, uh, a veteran of the Air Force. We want to thank you for your service. Thank you for your service right now to this country. Keep on doing the great work down in North thank, Carolina. Thank, thank Federation of American Immigration Reform for giving us the opportunity to come and speak to the citizens we serve and also citizenry across the country because they need to hear this message. You're not getting this on the news. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, man. All right. So my next guest is rob law and he is the director of regulatory affairs and policy for the center for immigration studies and prior to his time at cis rob worked for the trump administration at the u.s citizenship and immigration services first as a senior policy advisor and then as chief for the office of policy and strategy and before that he actually worked with me at fair he was our government relations director and you were there you were there from 2013 to 2017 so Rob, good to see you again. Thanks for coming That's on. That's right, Spencer. Thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. Good to see a good old familiar face. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. How's how's your experience here at Feet to Pot Fire been so far? I know we've been having you hop and going to you know. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Hosts. There there's nothing like the buzz mm-hmm. of of Feet to the Fire. You know, I love doing that event when I was at Fair, right. and then uh, you know we got to have uh, Ken Cuccinelli 
Kelly here when he was yeah, uh, the director of USCIS, mm -hmm. and I know he he really thrived in that environment. Mm -hmm. And now, yeah, and I guess um, he liked you enough that he took you over to to you know the Trump administration. Exactly, <laughs> and, you know, and now <laughs> it's uh, that, you know now you know moving over to you know to CIS after mm -hmm. my time at the Trump administration. It's it's good to be back and uh, absolutely to uh, you know try to help hold their feet to the fire because right, uh, right, there's right. not enough people that are doing that right now. But you got a great collective group mm -hmm. here, um, you know, that are really making sure the public knows what's going on. Absolutely. And if, you know, for any of our listeners that don't know, you know, CIS and FAIR, we work pretty closely together. We share a lot of information. We're always citing each other in our work. And so uh, very closely tied and, you know, a lot of good stuff happening. And, you know, just this this event we're having right now, it's great to be able to bring individuals from other immigration organizations over to just, again, hold hold everyone just two, two blocks down the street you know hold congress's feet to the fire hold the president's feet to the fire and and really it's just kind of a change of pace from most of the events you get in washington dc you know you're you're connecting with radio hosts that are you know talking to individuals in the middle of the country they are connected to these individuals and uh it's just been a great it's just been a great experience it is every year so we had some we had some breaking news come on this morning, you know, while we were getting ready for this event. I guess for each of our, for all of our listeners, it'll be probably a few days old at least by the time you hear this. But we learned that the Senate parliamentarian ruled against the Democrats' second attempt to stuff amnesty into their, I guess, reconciliation wish list at this point. So, Rob, you're 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 an expert on this. So tell me just a little bit. What is going on with that? Is it dead now? What's the future of amnesty and reconciliation and what's the next step for democrats who just seem completely determined to get an amnesty passed sure and i'll, I'll tell you <laughs> what one thing about feet to the fire is mm -hmm. no matter what time of year you guys have this event it always seems to correspond with some major immigration event you know i mean i remember back happen. in 2013 my first year the gang of eight bill dropped right. I think, two days beforehand so there's already buzz about that mm -hmm. i think we had supreme court rulings one year and now you know as you mentioned um the, the senate parliamentarian ruled mm -hmm. uh this morning that the second attempt to basically ram an amnesty through on a right. strictly partisan basis mm -hmm. is unsuccessful um, and and really this should not be surprising and it's mm -hmm. it's frankly mm -hmm. I, I think just very disingenuous of the Democrats to even try this right um, you know when people say what in the world is budget reconciliation that's a great question you know mm -hmm. it's, it's this very archaic and arcane uh, procedural uh -huh. uh, mechanism where you know you have the budget which is what keeps government going Absolutely. Um, and you're allowed to tweak it Mm -hmm. um, and only require 50 votes as opposed to, you know, your filibuster required 60 votes in the Senate. But it can't just be anything. It has mm -hmm. to have a primary purpose of the budget. Mm -hmm. Immigration, and in particular amnesty, not to mention that there was also massive increases in legal immigration. Absolutely, yeah. We often miss that because the amnesty was so alarming, but, you know, that was also very important as well. That is, Im that is immigration policy. Policy right. with a big old capital P. Mm -hmm. it, of course, it impacts the budget. Everything impacts the budget. Um, but it is to not... Some degree, it yeah. is The budgetary impact is incidental. It is about, right. it is about right. legalizing illegal aliens. Mm -hmm. It is about giving green cards to folks who otherwise wouldn't get them either today or you know, earlier than they otherwise would. Right. And it, it was a, this was a loser of an argument. And, mm. uh, you know... There was a concerted effort to basically, I think, bully the Senate parliamentarian. People started talking about her, dropping mm -hmm. her name. 
and there were you know speeches on the House and Senate floor about it. And then you had the cyber bullies who Absolutely. got on Twitter <laughs> and started saying things. It's disgraceful. And you know they put forward this argument that oh it impacts the budget. And the the, the amazing thing is the first argument, which you know you, you're supposed to lead with your strongest argument. At least that's what I was <laughs> taught in law school. Was that oh yeah the amnesty impacts the budget because it will be a net negative to the country. So you know there you go. All you've heard for years is about how immigrants and illegal aliens are contributors. Mm -hmm. You know some of them are the best and brightest and valedictorians. Well apparently they're a real net fiscal drain. But that that was the hook that they were going for. That it will it will be a, a deficit. Right. Um, to right. the budget. And that's supposed to be a good so thing. So we needed more money so we to need cover it. that. So we well, need at least it. they're um, finally admitting that. <laughs> and so, yeah, I guess, the, oops, um, that one, that one's out. So she rejected that a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. And instead of just saying, all right, we, we tried, but she, she held firm. She did her job, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, they said, we're coming back with a plan B. Um, and obviously, they had to huddle in, in their dark caves and figure out, what in the world can we do? So they, they made this other attempt, which is rather ridiculous. There is a little known provision, our immigration laws, uh, it's an immigration registry. Right. And basically this was the date that was used to allow the population that qualified for Reagan's amnesty of 86 right. uh -huh. to say, this is the date that you had to be here. Well, the 86 amnesty was legislation. It was passed by a House and a Senate and exactly. signed by President Reagan. That is the way you're supposed to do it. If you want to appropriately wanna, you, yep. passed, even if it was a bad bill, <laughs> it may have been a very poor policy decision, and it was. Mm -hmm. But at least they did it through, you know, the schoolhouse rock way of, exactly. of doing it. <laughs> well, they just said, you know what we can do? Let's just redline that date of uh, sometime in the late 70s and just move it on up. Maybe it's 2010, maybe it's January 1st, 2020, 2021 even, who knows? Right. You know, that, that's how we can do that. Yeah, that's even less persuasive mm -hmm. uh, of a claim. And, and today uh, we did find out that the Senate parliamentarian yet again ruled mm -hmm. against them. So at this point, I, I don't know how they could possibly muster anything else. Right. Um, We're hearing a lot of talk about even possibly firing the Senate parliamentarian just to pass an amnesty, which is ridiculous, dangerous, in fact, in my opinion. So if they were to go that radical route, would they lose some of their support? You know, a Senator Joe Manson or a cinema? I mean, is that is that even a realistic path that they could attempt to take? If any of those senators that you just named are mm -hmm. truly the moderates that the media describes them right. as, it absolutely should. Because all right. it would take is just one of them to defect. And, and it's over. all of a sudden, it's Chuck done. Schumer is no longer in control mm -hmm. of the Senate. And all of a sudden, you actually start to have accountability and, and oversight. And, so and it seems like it might just be too much. But yeah. I've noticed uh, little, too many crickets, I think, on the uh -huh. immigration stuff. You know, I've heard Manchin complain about $3.5 trillion's too big or this provision or that provision. But it hasn't specifically said, I find amnesty through reconciliation objectionable. Right. Which is interesting because if you look at polling from West Virginia or really the entire nation right now, individuals, you know, Americans don't want to see an amnesty passed. In some ways, it looks like for someone like a mansion, it could even be a political suicide. So it, it's, it's really interesting to think if he's maybe trying to play some other political games. You know, if I'm concerned about the size of the package, well, maybe this will be one of the things that's scrapped. Or is he really okay with an amnesty, but not some of these other things, which I guess, you know, maybe there's no way of knowing. 
Yeah, I mean, just too often you see these elected officials who, once they get into office, they forget that it's actually their constituents that are their boss. Exactly. And <laughs> they vote for things that are opposed and unpopular from their own constituents. So maybe with the exception right. of, of California, uh, maybe collectively you have a majority there mm -hmm. that are all for amnesty and everything else that comes with it. Almost every single one of these senators is backing a policy that is really only supported by the most extreme progressive left that don't want there to be uh, any limits on immigration Absolutely. or the you know the chamber of commerce type republicans who just like the access to cheap labor and they just say oh well if it's legal then it's good well right. no 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 no, no. Right. what what is what is the level what is the impact on the wages and opportunities mm -hmm. for americans and that's where you have this fallacy in the republican side of things where they say i'm against illegal immigration but i'm for legal immigration mm -hmm. and that is an incomplete statement Right. Okay, that's fine. You're for legal immigration. Mm -hmm. How much of it? Exactly. You know, unlimited? Is there a number? If there's a number, what is that number? Mm -hmm. How did you reach that number? Do you even know what the number is today? You know, we give out 1.1 million green cards, you know, a permanent stay in the United right. States every, every year. single year. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of temporary foreign workers mm -hmm. as well. And I think the American people largely don't know these numbers. Mm -hmm. And when you start to realize that and you can quantify it and qualify it, it it really paints the bleak picture that American workers get the short end of the stick. Absolutely. And the, the alien benefits, because they get U.S. dollars, right. which is more money than they would make in their home country, mm -hmm. and the businesses benefit because they have a flatline payroll, Absolutely. Uh, cheaper labor than they otherwise would in a truly free competitive market. And then, you know, those on the progressive side that are trying to get the amnesty, um, it seems like the calculus is that if we're the party that amnesties them, they'll vote we'll, for us. we'll, we'll get right. their votes down the road. Right. You know, that they, they don't say it as transparent, but it seems like wh why else would you really do it? If, right. if there it was wasn't a lot for, of interesting focus it wasn't on when would we make these people voters. eligible to vote in some of yep. their proposals. For yeah, sure. a certain backdating of mm. it, which just seemed like it, maybe it doesn't get you in for 2024, but it certainly does by 2028 yeah. And, yeah. and beyond. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's really... Um, a situation where you have a political establishment that does not believe that the American people are the primary stakeholders in our immigration policy, and that is just wrong and, and frankly misguided. Absolutely, and that's why we're having this event right now. Hold, hold Capitol Hill accountable. Let them know that we're paying attention, that each and every one of you that are listening are paying attention, and that we're not going to forget whether it's in this election or upcoming elections. You know, you will be held accountable. Well, Rob. It's been a pleasure chatting with you again. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for all you're continuing to do for this cause. And we hope to talk to you again soon. Oh, absolutely. Don't be a stranger. You know how absolutely, to find me. Absolutely. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Take care. All right. Now I'm going to kick it over to my co-host, Preston Hennikins, for his special guest. All right. Thanks, Spencer. So once again, we are here recording live at fairs, Hold Their Feet to the Fire, Radio Row events. Um, sitting with us now is FAIR's senior fellow, Mark Morgan, uh, the former commissioner of Customs and Border Protection under President Trump. Mark, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks, uh, President. I'll tell you what, first of all, thanks because you're one of the few that actually got the former title right, uh, Customs and Border Protection. They always say Customs and Border Patrol. Right, right. <laughs> and everyone knows Border Patrol is, of course, a part of exactly CBP. Exactly right, but right. Yes, uh, of course, is Customs and Border Protection. Uh, and, and so that actually is my first question for you, sure. is I want to get your reaction to what we saw at the border um, in Del Rio, where Border Patrol agents were accused of using reins as whips 
on Haitian migrants. This was a, a story that was taken completely out of context. And, and so I just wanted to get your reaction to that, having right. led um, um, that organization. So your first question, you want to get me all fired up already. Yeah, exactly, said, right? exactly. So you're, you're smart. You're doing this by design. So look, it, there, there's so many things to unpack here. So first of all, one of the founding principles of, of this country is a little thing called fair and partial due process, right? And what happened to that? It went out the window, completely abdicated, completely violated. Everybody jumped on the bad wagon, condemning, vilifying, uh, scapegoating, uh, ruining these agents' careers and their, and their reputation without asking a single question, without even allowing the, the investigation inquiry to even begin. And here, President, here's what's really disgusting. The Secretary Mayorkas, he was a former prosecutor, he knows, right. he knows better than anybody, Preston, about, about due process. And what did he do? He went out there and he was leading the charge to vilify these agents. And even after it clearly been proven, just, just so the people listening, uh, no whips, and they weren't whipping anybody. They're used to control the horses in a chaotic environment, by the way, um, is that as a cabinet-level official, part of his job also is to make sure the White House has the truth. Mm -hmm. Look, as, 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 as a commissioner of CBP, I was contacted by, by the press secretary on a regular basis or, or, or from their comms team saying, hey, commissioner, XYZ is being reported. Hey, is this true or not? Can you give me that? We were always, they were always asking to make sure they had the truth, right? What happened here? They're either completely incompetent or they're sticking their heads in on purpose because this was a good distraction for them. Right. And I think you made a great point about Secretary Mayorkas already jumping on the other side of this. Absolutely. And he, he came out and, and all but said that these agents were guilty of what the media accused them of. And incredibly, President Biden did the exact same, same thing. thing. And when the President of the United States gets on, he has a, he is the biggest bully pulpit in the world, being right. President of the United States. And he comes out and says, we are going to get to the bottom of this and something wrong happened. This is That's not right. who we are. But, but as you said... Nothing wrong happened. They were, these were these were agents who were essentially just doing their job, right? And right. they were being attacked for by the president of the United States. That's right. What what happened to President Biden being the great unifier? The great. If he was a unifier, what he would have said is, "Okay, folks, the, let's let's tamp down the rhetoric." Okay, Let, let's make sure that as America, we support that little thing called due process, right? Let, let, let's not jump to any conclusion. Let's let the investigation pan out. And then after we get the results, then, then we'll let you know and we can go from there. That's what he should have been doing as a unifier. But he, he didn't just jump on the bandwagon. He said, right, quote, they... they they were being, the individuals were being strapped, lie. They were running over people, lie. And what's another thing that the President of the United States said? The most powerful man in the free world, they're going to pay. Exactly. The President saying they're going to pay. And listen, one last thing about Secretary Marcus, because I have to, because everything that comes out of this man is, is a calculated social, uh, you know, a social activist lie for, the, uh, uh, for this administration, is that when he was down in Del Rio, he actually did okay on this to begin with. I have to call balls and strikes. He actually said uh, they, they weren't whips. And then what happens? He goes back to D.C. 20 hours later, and where does he go? Shocker, wait for it, CNN. And all of a sudden, quote, his, his, now what he saw uh, 20 hours later were, were uh, these uh, Border Patrol agents, quote, secretary, weaponizing horses to attack children. And now they're supposed to get a fair, impartial hearing. It's unbelievable. It's you know. So I, I'm still in somebody else's word. They say it's sick, and I agree. That's what it is. No, it absolutely is. And this this kind of dovetails into my next question, which is just the way that 
the administration has handled the border just broadly obviously is a huge huge difference from how <laughs> how you did it during the Trump administration in your opinion what is the number one thing that this administration has done to create the crisis that we're seeing right now at the border? First of all, I've got to make sure that, that I need to say this, that this administration, first of all, inherited the most secure border in our lifetime. A fact, period. Okay, next. To answer your question, the Remain in Mexico program. Out of, out, of, out of all the network of tools, policies, and authorities uh, that, that President Trump provided us to secure the border and stop illegal immigration, remain in Mexico. And here's why I say that. What, the, the driving force behind the, the massive illegal immigration crisis uh, that we've experienced in were, were families that were illegally coming into the country because we had a very bad court case called the Floor Settlement Agreement that said you could not keep families for more than 20 days. You can't get through the immigration process in 20 days. So what that equated to, which I think everybody knows by now, the infamous catch and release. You come to the family illegally. That was your passport in the United States. We had to release you by that court order, uh, never to be heard from again. The Remain in Mexico stopped that loophole, the closed the loophole. We stopped and ended catch and release. And by February of 2020, we had reduced the illegal flow of unaccompanied minors and families by almost 80%. It worked. It was effective. And this administration on day one got rid of it. And I think that's a, for our listeners, we've had podcast episodes about the Remain in Mexico program and how important it was, as Mark just said. Um, and so my final question for you, Mark, I want to play a bit of a hypothetical with you. Sure. Let's say that a, a Republican or someone wins in 2024 and asks you to come and be a part of the administration in, in a similar role or perhaps in a different role. What is the first thing that you're doing in a new administration to take control of the border and to take control of our immigration system. Uh, uh, work with Mexico immediately to reinstall uh, Remain in Mexico program along all 2,000 miles of the, uh, the U.S.-Mexico border. The second thing I do is re-engage uh, the Northern Triangle countries that we did and secure once again unprecedented asylum cooperative agreements, which said if you have a legitimate asylum claim, you should file it in the first safe country you come to, and you should be barred from filing asylum in the United States if you did not take advantage of that. Uh, the third thing that I would do is fix the credible fear standard, which there is no standard at all. You say the magic words, you're automatically entered into the asylum process. We have to fix that. We also have to apply consequences, which means we have to fund and give the, the ICE the ability to actually enforce an INA by detaining people. If you illegally enter the border, you're going to be detained while you go through the immigration proceeding. And if it's found to be false, you're going to be removed. And the last thing we need to do is build the wall. Excellent. Everyone at home, we have been talking to FAIR's senior fellow, Mark Morgan, former uh, Commissioner of Customs and Border Protection under President Trump. Mark, thank you so much for stopping by and talking with us here Thanks, at Feet to the Fire. Appreciate it. Thanks. And we are interviewing Matthew Tregesser, our press secretary, but who also is responsible for setting up and managing this entire event that we have here at Feet to the Fire 2021. So, Matthew, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Preston. So, I, I just want you to give a sense to our listeners who maybe haven't experienced one of these events before, don't know what this is. If you could just succinctly tell us what Hold Their Feet to the Fire is, what the event's purpose is, and why we do this every year. Sure. So this is FAIR's 14th annual Hold Their Feet to the Fire. It's a massive radio row. In fact, it's the largest radio row in the entire country, believe it or not. Um, every year, we have about 70 radio hosts, uh, radio stations that come to this um, event. And they come from all parts of the country. I mean, we got people from Hawaii, uh, Florida, Texas, New England, really all over the country. And it's really an opportunity for these hosts 
uh, immigration experts, administration officials, lawmakers, law enforcement, really a, a wide range of people to come together, talk about immigration reform, talk about what needs to be fixed to fix not only the border crisis, but also longer term uh, goals. You know, some of the issues that we're facing now, whether it's the southern border or uh, visa programs, um, they've been pro they've they have been issues for this country for many, many decades. We have seen very little improvement, and this is an opportunity to really hold, you know, this administration, uh, the Biden administration, their their feet to the fire. Uh, lawmakers in Congress who are, you know, open borders lawmakers and who are really just jeopardizing our country right now with what they're um, advocating for. So it's a really cool event. You know, it we this has been an absolutely uh, incredible year because we have. And this is the first time in, in almost a decade that we've changed venues, so we're outside now on this rooftop. It's amazing, um, but it's really been a, an awesome two days here. So awesome! We love to hear that, of course. Now, I want to just ask you, just to get a sense of this, how much planning goes into this? You know, when did you when do you have to start planning for an event of this size and this scope? What goes into it? Uh, and just kind of explain for our listeners again just how big of an event this is um, and your role in managing it. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes a long time to do this. You know, I know it's a two-day event, but there's a lot of logistics uh, that go into this. I mean, we're, we're planning way ahead, maybe five, six months ahead, and um, it just really, it, it, it takes a lot, of, uh, a lot of teamwork to get this running. You know, we got people from the event site, the vendors, people on staff, you know, booking guests, booking the uh, radio host. A lot of coordination and it has to be flawless because they're only here for two days you know you can't be messing up times and and uh you know it really takes a lot of preparation so we're happy that we all kind of meshed well together and everything has been uh, so, so good so far absolutely and i wanted to ask you what has been your favorite part of this particular feet to the fire event i, I think it's just the opportunity to see everybody in person you know you read a lot of people's uh, you know, commentary online, or you email them frequently throughout the year. But to get everyone in one location, at, and you know, you're all discussing the, the same issue. It's really, really cool to put you know people's names to their faces and just have those in-person uh, interactions. Great. Well, Matthew, I think I know that you're extremely busy, so we will wrap it up with that. Just wanted to get you quickly on the podcast talking about what you've been doing these past couple of months. Um, this has been an enormous ordeal, and I know that the entire organization is very thankful for what you've done for this event. It's been gone off without a hitch, and a lot of that is thanks to you. Um, so for our listeners at home, we've been speaking with Matthew Tregesser, our press secretary. He's responsible for putting together this entire event. And Matthew, thank you for coming on uh, and being on the other side of the microphone for the podcast. Thank you, Preston. All right. I want to thank everyone at home for tuning into this special recording of the FAIR Understanding Immigration podcast. We've been recording from FAIR's Hold Their Feet to the Fire 2021 Radio Row event. Um, this was a really, really interesting event. We had a lot of lawmakers, a lot of immigration policy analysts, and a lot of activists in Washington, D.C. for two days to come and discuss one of the most pressing issues our country faces, which is immigration and the continued failure of the Biden administration uh, on this issue. So we thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, and until next time, this has been Understanding Immigration, presented by FAIR.